Hello and welcome back to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. I am your host, Giselle Stambra, and with me this fine morning is the lovely gentleman, David Capra. Thanking you. If you're a new listener, heads up. The next hour is dedicated to giving you the latest and greatest insights into the arts. Can I have a glass of water? Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio. It's FBI Radio's Sweet 15, 15 years of arts, culture, music and more. We are giving away a few prizes throughout the show and we're asking our guests what they were up to when they were 15. But before we get into that, I would like to give a very sincere shout out to Nicholas from Forestville who has just called in to support us here at FBI. Um, you will go into the draw for our very special prize bag. We do actually have a literal bag here in the studio, David. is just putting it into the... Plop. Ba- in- plop. <laughs> Into the bag. Thank you so much, Nicholas. David, what have you been up to this week? Well, I went and saw Don't Cry For Me, Marge and Tina. (laughs) Tina Arena in Evita. What a show. What a spectacular. You know, at times it was like... um, like being at a Tina Arena concert, or and but then it got a little young talent time at times, and uh, it was a pretty great, that entertaining is... show. Tina did good. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. Yes, she good. is like the um, Australian Australian Madonna. And um, last week, if you're listening, if you are a regular listener, we had in um, somebody from the Sydney Underground Film Festival who yes. spoke about some of their top picks. And David actually, um, David and I went and saw a movie called Behind the Curve, which is, a, it was a fantastic movie. It's about um, flat earthers. and um, Which so- are? People that believe the Earth is, is flat. flat. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and it was actually, uh, uh, you know, I was quite um, impressed with the sort of uh, kind of sympathetic portrayal of the protagonist in the movie. And some of my favourite parts is when they go through these beautiful wooden models that flat earthers make to explain um, things like the sun, the moon, even the eclipse. Um, so they, 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 there's so much sort of, you know, craftsmanship um, into these things. So a lot of flat earthers are incredibly skilled people. And um, very likable. That's yeah. what was most surprising yeah. about the documentary. Yeah. Weren't they? Yeah. Some of them were really, really sweet. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't judge if you are a flat earther or if you do, in fact, believe that the earth is round. That's fine. Um, you know, that's fine too. Each to their own. Each, yeah. That's true, each to their own. But, yes, it is our sweet 15, 15 years of the arts and culture. And uh, we are asking our listeners to keep the party going for our sweet 15. You can call us on 833-22945 and sign up at fbiradio.com forward slash support. So um, I also want to take this moment to... 
uh, remind our listeners that Canvas uh, acknowledges the land on which we are broadcasting from is the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And we pay our respects to Indigenous listeners and their guests then and the elders past, present and emerging. And sovereignty was never ceded. We've got both guests old and new on the show this morning. Uh, first up, we... Oh, uh, actually, I think it's it's been shuffled around. We've done a, a bit of a card shuffling. So if you are listening on a special timer to time in for certain guests, we have at the big finale, the conclusion of the show, we have Winnie Dunn and Rachel Marie from Sweatshop Western Sydney Writers Group, which uh, they're doing some really exciting stuff. They'll be speaking about their new grant. They've got um, a move to go to ICE at Parramatta. So we'll be hearing all about the work that they are doing. And then we are joined by... Uh, first, we're joined by Lisa Samet talking about her latest exhibition, Monumental Echo at First Draft. And our music cur- curator for this week is Layla L. Rays. Next week, she'll be joining us to chat about her music picks for these next few weeks. This first track chosen by her is Kufa, My Name Is My Name. Hello and welcome back to Canvas on FBI Radio. Just a little after-the-fact language warning there in regards to that song, which was from a power electronic music project about Lebanon and personal identity. That was a track titled My Name Is My Name, reloaded on No Rent Records last year. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 or via our digital stream on fbiradio.com. I am Giselle Stamberer. Things tick, move and breathe around around when you're looking at the work of the next artist we have in the studio. It feels a little bit like The Labyrinth starring uh, David Bowie, maybe except minus The Muppets, don't you think, Giselle? Absolutely. There's no, I, I, to me, it reminds me of... Um, Actually, like large-scale um, dioramas of the landscape. That's mm. what it... Yeah. I guess they're not, like, they're not as large as the landscape. Maybe they are. Anyway, I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you describe it. <laughs> no, yeah, diorama, diorama is right, but I guess I wanted to bring it up to human scale. So um, the, the work that I'm currently showing at First Draft, um, A Monumental Echo, is basically trying to find a way to communicate with the cosmos um, through the materials of this place, of this earth. Um, And essentially I'm trying to um, bring human sentiment and the cosmos into a very comprehensible relationship through that. Um, And um, when did your fascination with that begin? Um, It's hard to pinpoint, actually, but... um, I think perhaps, actually, we were just chatting about it, my um, experience with the earthquake in Chile. Um, That was a few years ago now, but it was quite um, a strange and terrifying but really humorous experience in a way. But that was in 2010. Yes. That's quite a long time ago. How was was it humorous? Um, When I say humorous, I think it was... I couldn't stop smiling halfway through 
And I think it was just, (laughs) (laughs) you get to a point, you've run outside, you think you're safe. And the world is just moving, the the earth is liquefied, and you just suddenly go, I can't do anything else, this is it, I'll just go with the flow here. Um, and it's, I think it was just a bit melodramatic, maybe. Yeah. And uh, did you, what were you doing there firstly? I was just visiting, okay. visiting a few countries in on right. the continent. Wow. So. so you have currently an exhibition at First Draft mm. Gallery and it's called A Monumental Echo. Can you describe the exhibition if we were to walk in and experience your work? Yeah, Lisa? sure. Um, so it's large scale sculpture, um, but they're immersed in these large projections that I've created. So it's floor to ceiling. Um, there's quite a lot of movement in there as well. I use clockwork mechanisms and um, TV screens embedded in as well. Um, and it so it has a very oceanic feel, I suppose, very immersive feeling. And where did your interest in the ocean specifically spring from? Um, I think that would be about the very sensory experience that you would have in the ocean and this sort of feeling of fluidity in the cosmos, that we're sort of these particle beings and we're sort of part of this universe and um, I'm just trying to grasp that in a way. And you've done some really interesting things. You've, um, in 2017, you received a, a sculpture grant to go and research, well, active volcanic rock. Is mm. that in uh, southern Italy? Can you tell us yeah, about that? Yeah, so southern Italy is really interesting if you're into volcanoes because um, there's quite a few active uh, spaces in that part. It's very quite remote. It's very hard to get to places. Um, I spent $200 on a taxi ride to get up Mount Etna, for example. Um, but once you're there, it's a really um, out of this world sort of space, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've really got quite an interest in that. That's and if you are just joining us this morning, we are here with the artist Lisa Samet to talk about her cosmic-oriented work and her recent exhibition that is on at first draft till the end of the month, A Monumental Echo. She's also taking part in the John Freeze later this year. And you have been speaking about some of the residencies that you um, have been doing. You've also done one at the Sydney Observatory. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was in 2013. Um, But that was a really good opportunity to um, look more at the science. Um, I'm not typically interested in the science of the cosmos. I think it's often relegated to that, that sort of conversation. But um, it was interesting to sort of have conversations and see where things went. What did what did it look like? Did did you get a behind the scenes look at what was happening there and at the observatory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the first time I saw the sun, like actually looked at the sun, and it was quite a memorable experience. It was, you know, twenty twenty cent piece, right? And incredible. you could follow its perimeter with your eye, and you could see the the space around it warping. It was really quite yeah. How amazing. does one look at the sun? Was it through a a telescope? Yeah, like through a telescope. Um, had a special lens, so the sun was bright red. Wow. So um, not its natural color, but yeah. does it have a natural color? What's the natural color um, of the sun? I think it is a a, a yellow ah. light. Well, that's um, good. It's because nice. there are different yeah stages. It's nice to know that all of my childhood drawings of the sun are accurate. They, they have are. always <laughs> been consistently <laughs> yellow. So that's 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 good. Yeah, you're on it. 
And Lisa, <laughs> you also undertook a wood carving residency in Austria. Mm. Can you tell us what you who were you, who was your mentor there? Or um, so basically, there's um, a wood carving school, um, the Giza Maroda, and it's been there for about seventy years. So it's been passed down through generations of families, and. Um, it's right up there in the middle of the mountains and basically I just spent a week intensively wood carving. Um, there are, it's really renowned in that area for the wood carving. What were you, was, were you working with local woods and uh, Local things? timbers from, yeah. from the mountains surrounding and um, artisans that work in that area. They and are what, quite renowned. What sort of things were you making? Um, I was doing very basic things at the start, at the start but I, it did take a while to get the hang of it. Actually, halfway through, I thought I might have to drop out because my arm had seized up from carving. Is that right? Yeah, oh. it was a really big day. You're up at six and then you carve wow. until 6pm when you have dinner. It's incredible. It, it's, it was huge, but it, that's what it takes, I think. Are there any um, occupational hazards around carving that long? Did you get RSI? Yes, I did. Ah. I did, which is why I thought I might have to drop out. Um, strangely, they recommended wrapping this local plant around my arm, wow. which I think helped because the next morning I was good to go. So, Does it, Did you wrap it around like a brace? Yeah, so you just gra- <laughs> grab all the leaves and then you just wind some tape around your arm and go to sleep. Oh, so yeah. that's yeah, that's a pretty conventional treatment. I think that's great. <laughs> and how does that come into your practice, the wood, the wood carving? Um, I think it's just because tactility is so important, and the material and the process. Wood is just something that I feel very. It feels very accessible, and something that I can manipulate. There's so much you can do with wood. And you're mm. one of the artists in the John Fries Award, so it's a, yes. a, an award for young emerging artists. What? Can you give us a sneak peek into what will be shown in that show? Yeah, so um, I'll be presenting uh, four four new videos, but as um, one installation, um, and they someone some will be new, some will be um, previous works. Can you yeah. give us an insight into one of the videos? Yeah, sure. I mean, all of them are basically shot in the studio, so just like my sculpture. Um, works. I build models and things in the studio and I'll shoot them. So it's also a very hands-on process. So there's a lot of geologic materials and organic materials and I sort of animate those in these strange ways using water and wind and so they're quite surrealist in a way, yeah. And uh, it is our Sweet 15 FBI supporter drive today. So mm. in the spirit of... Um, the magic number 15 and 15 years. What sort of artwork were you making when you were 15? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) uh, You know what? I think I was obsessed with those paint-by-numbers. Ah. Um, Yeah. My mum had a few of those books. She gave them to me. I don't know if she had them from her childhood or where they came from. Do you remember any of the motifs in the paint-by-numbers? Ponies? Ponies? Ponies. No, no ponies. It was all... Landscapes. That's wait. There were fruit bowls. <laughs> there were fruit bowls. I remember that now. <laughs> Is it like because you do sort of have quite there's quite a strong lineal component to mm. some of your. I don't know. Maybe it has had um, some kind of some kind of ongoing ongoing impact. I don't know. Yeah. But if you um, <laughs> have been inspired by Lisa Samet's work when she is fifteen, it's 
I'm sure I haven't seen your work when it's 15, but I'm sure it's much better now. Um, you can check out her work. It's currently on um, at First Draft Gallery down in Woolloomooloo. A monumental echo is what the exhibition is called and see it before it takes off. Or, you know, if you do miss that boat, then you can catch it later on at the John Freeze Award. We're going to take a little musical break now with Tina Taylor. This is going to love. You're listening to FBI Radio on 94.5 Sometimes we say things that we really don't mean We do things in between the lines We should do more to stand out I'm sorry if I made you Hello and thanks for tuning in. That lovely romantic jam was Gonna Love from American recording artist, actress, dancer, triple threat, model. In fact, that's a quadruple threat. Tiana Taylor from Harlem. This is Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. I am Giselle Stambra. David, you have Mm. been with Canvas for almost three years now. I have. You have, congratulations, but um, that pales in comparison to the 15 years that FBI has been around. And like all angsting 15-year-olds, we require the support and care from our loving financial supporters. So please become our radio parents and sign up as a FBI supporter to sweeten the deal Rewind Photo Lab in Glebe are giving away a voucher with five film developments and scans free to the next listener who signs up as an FBI supporter. That's actually a, a really good deal. I think so yeah, too. That's, uh, when I saw that, I was like, Phew, that's a good deal. So uh, call in right now, keep the party going for our sweet 15 and call us on 833-22945. I have to ask, speaking of angsty teens, Giselle, what sort of uh, work were you making at age 15? <laughs> I really would like to know the answer to this. Yeah, it's, it's I, you know, 15 doesn't, um, I'm not quite sure. I was really interested in like, um, I, I guess now it would be called like eco art, but I used to do like... I think it's um, sort of continuity from when I was five and making those, like, potato head stockings. Like, I used to fill stockings with um, uh, dirt and scenes and then grow grass in them and then, like, make them into, like, sculptural forms. So, with the googly eyes. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't include the googly eyes. Um I used to sort of like I think it was um it like it was a little bit Sarah Lucas y a little bit, except that it was growing <laughs> grass. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was fifteen I loved shading. Shading oh. specifically with my Derwents. Oh, Derwents. And I um, I made many what? portraits of Gillian Anderson from oh. X-Files. And I was also making my own set of X-File Muppets. Wow. Yes, like little, little puppets. puppets. Yeah. Ah, for your own little X-File stuff. That's amazing. That's exactly what right. Kind of, what kind of set of Derwents did you have? Did you have like, because, you know, this it's quite tiered. It's really quite, you know, quite classist in a way. But, you well, know, did you have the basic set? Did you have I'd, the bourgeois set? I had the war. 
watercolor set. So oh, I often beautiful. I found that my phlegm my phlegm actually worked better than water. Oh. So I I I licked pretty much a lot of my um drawings <laughs> completely covered in my saliva. Oh, so you licked the the paper. You would spit on the paper as opposed to licking the pencil. Yes, because it oh, had more good. of a tactile quality. I found. Oh. But people are probably having breakfast. We should probably move along. <laughs> So we are. Yes. We have more prizes to give away in this next hour. So stay listening, please. And up next, we have sweatshop writers Winnie Dunn and Rachel Marie joining us in the studio. But first, let's get to another track from our music curator and artist Layla L. Race. This is Glamour Rats out of Melbourne with their track Club Rat. I'm Giselle Stambra, and this is Canvas. You are listening to FBI Radio ninety four point five. She's a club rat. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She's a club rat. Yeah. Can you handle that? No way. My sexy, nasty club rat. Uh, uh, uh. I'm a club rat. Uh-huh. I'm a club rat. Yeah, I'm a club rat. Yes, and I can handle that. You heard Club Rat by Glamour Rats, which are, you know, a, a pretty great, uh, great animal to really embody oh, the vibe of I the club. I love rats. Yeah, and David was, you know, you, you we didn't want to sort of impose on the song, but David was doing a lovely little sing-along that will just have to exist in your imagination for forever. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. It's a show about art. And ideas, and I am Giselle Stambra, and we are joined in the studio this morning by some of our favourite Sydney writers, Winnie Dunn and Rachel Marie. They are members of Western Sydney Writers Group Sweatshop, who give space to writers to tell their own story and to tell it differently in their own way. Winnie Dunn is a Tongan writer from Mount Druitt and was actually on the show a little bit earlier this year, and um, she's known for her staunch photo poses and is the administrator, PR jockey, and editor for Sweatshop. Rachel Marie is new to Canvas. Welcome, Rachel. And she is another writer from Sweatshop who is about to be published in Sweatshop's most recent women's anthology. Thank you for joining us both this morning. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be back, actually. Oh, well, yeah, welcome back. You know, each time, each time, it's it's more beautiful. Uh, We (laughs) just want you to reiterate for guests that might not have been listening the first time that might not uh, remember, very forgetful of them. If you could just tell us a little bit about what Sweatshop does. Yeah, so uh, Sweatshop is a Western Sydney uh, literacy uh, movement for Indigenous and culturally and linguistically diverse writers. Uh, And so we're all about training and employment for those kind of marginalised communities. And what we do is we train those writers um, in critical thinking through creative writing and kind of empower them to uh, use use literature as as a tool for for justice by um, telling their own stories in the best way possible and creating an original contribution to knowledge, which is what I think literature is. 
That's um, such an expansive definition Mm -hmm. there. And um, I really enjoyed what you said about employment because I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of slack that people working in the, you know, the humanities get um, Mm -hmm. in regards to, you know, you'll never get a job with that. So um, what sort of employment paths are are open to people that are identifies writers yeah um so for sweatshop like we understand that for indigenous and culturally and linguistically diverse people who want to be um kind of writers and arts workers um it's kind of very difficult uh for them to find employment um because there there's this thing where they have to kind of prove themselves to a monocultural kind of gatekeepers in the arts community um so what sweatshop does is that uh we train those writers um Uh, get them to think critically about their own work um, through lots of uh, kind of free initiatives, so like workshops, uh, basically. Um, I run the women's workshop once a month and that's free uh, for any kind of Indigenous uh, or culturally and linguistically diverse person who identifies as a a woman to to come in and kind of learn for free. Um, And then what happens is that um, whatever publication outcomes, so the anthology, um, they get paid for that at the end of it. So it's a very small kind of honorarium, but what we do is we encourage uh, those kind of new emerging writers uh, to feel confident in their writing uh, by paying them for, for, you know, kind of what they're worth and and their work and also giving them a lot of in-kind support. Um, And recently we've partnered up with uh, kind of different organisations and publications to kind of um, get that publication outcome a bit more widely. So the Red Room Company... Uh, the women's group for Sweatshop has partnered up with them um, and they're going to pay a couple of poets from the from the group to be published there and also I'm working with this writer um, who's a who's a who's a DJ as well and she's writing kind of about the music scene in Western Sydney um, and she's getting paid for that article as well so there's kind of publication outcomes that that are that are paid for that um, is a kind of employment for a lot of freelance artists in Western Sydney. So important, lots to look out for there. And Rachel, is that how you got involved in Sweatshop? How did you come to be part of Sweatshop? Well, I knew Winnie already and I knew that she was involved in Sweatshop and the women's group was something I was really interested in. So I think I came to like the initial photo shoot and I wasn't really sure if I was going to participate on a writing standpoint, but it was really... It was really captivating and I just sort of got sort of sucked in and I love it now. Great. And what sort of writing do you do? Um, I mainly do creative writing that is... It's a little bit tricky because I'm not an experienced writer. So I think I started wanting to do poetry and something like that. And it sort of turned out to be a bit more of a short story. But I'm finding that through Sweatshop, I'm being guided the whole time and that my writing is slowly changing and developing. And I'm still figuring out what I write and how I write. Um, It's a bit of a slow process and it's taking a lot of practice. But it's hard to answer that because I'm still sort of figuring it out for myself. And can you tell us a little bit about the piece that you have yeah, upcoming in the women's anthology? Yeah. Um, at the moment, I have a piece upcoming that's still in the editing stages and I'm still sort of figuring it out, but I'm basically writing a lot about my dad's family, which is Mauritian Creole family, who's based in Bankstown and sort of like growing up with them and 
like a real story about how my cousin once tripped over and like broke a tooth and then we really like had this very dramatic trip to the hospital and it's just a very vivid memory for me but I sort of wanted to bring it to paper. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely I think there's you know so much um, evocation as soon as you said fell over and chipped the tooth it's like oh yeah yeah it was like one of the biggest things to ever happen at a family Christmas for us so yeah and we still talk about it all the time and we like you know <laughs> sort of say now be careful otherwise you'll fall over and, and break a tooth okay <laughs> <laughs> and why is it important to have a women's anthology well I think it's more in my opinion, more important to have a women of colour anthology because I think women's anthologies have happened time and time again and to me it's not necessarily that special. Like, you know, we can talk about women's anthologies as being really empowering and revolutionary but I think to have a women of colour anthology is way more um, game-changing and in a way Sweatshop's women's group is, you know, it's it's a never been done before thing and it's bringing you know um it's allowing people who have been denied a voice or been denied to bring their stories to paper an opportunity that they wouldn't have had any other way and other than stories of chipping teeth what are you finding your peers are talking about uh, are there common uh things that are reoccurring in in writing mm, yeah so um in in sweatshop in general and and it's also what i bring to the women's group is that i car- encourage everybody to write from their own personal experiences uh because sweatshop believes that the most empowering voice you can have um is a voice that comes from your own experiences and so mm. especially as as women of color um all over western sydney and sydney um there hasn't been uh stories written by women of color by women of colour um, and uh, and representing uh, Sydney and Western Sydney as well. Um, yeah, so definitely the themes that are kind of reoccurring. Um, there's a lot of kind of tension between, um, like, there's a, there's a few love stories which I'm kind of really keen on because I think people shy away um, from talking, like, writing about um, their own kind of personal love life because it seems a bit too personal. But um, for me, those are kind of the most interesting stories. So there's kind of all these really bad date stories. Um, there's also um, a lot of mothers in the in the uh, collective. Uh, and so they're kind of writing about um, their children uh, and kind of their experiences um, of what it means uh, to, to have children that are also people of colour um, and that also kind of have... Um, a different perspective on kind of themselves and 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 their kind of racial background that um, their mothers are just only figuring out now and so um, kind of together we're working through those stories uh, which are kind of really culturally specific as well. There's a lot of spirituality um, that comes with kind of those different contexts um, and a lot of uh, there's one ghost story which I'm particularly interested in called the long boobed ghost by Lucy Nguyen. It's wow. pretty fun. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of been great. And every month we have a scheduled uh, woman of color um, who's already been published and who who comes in and they kind of give a guest lecture. So um, earlier this month we had Randa Abdul Fattah who wrote "Does My Head Look Big in This," um, and that was kind of really amazing because there's a lot of kind of uh, hijabi wearing Muslim women in the in the collective as well, um, and they just kind of grew up with that story so they kind of find it really empowering to see that there's a history um, of culturally and linguistically diverse writing that's really empowering 
Mm. And I hear that Sweatshop is moving. Where is it based now? Yes, we're moving to Parramatta, which is really exciting. Uh, we were based uh, in Bankstown um, in the West, Western Sydney University's Bankstown campus, but we've recently moved to Information Cultural Exchange Centre, ICE on 8 Victoria Road. Uh, and it's kind of a really exciting time. There's something new happening in Parramatta where it's kind of becoming the second city um, and where kind of a lot of art is kind of flooding into that scene um, and what's kind of great about Parramatta is that it's um, you know despite this kind of big changes big moves um, it still remains pretty culturally diverse um, so it's it's been kind of great for for sweatshop to to come into that with our friends um, at ice um, and at diversity arts mm. who are kind of next to us um, in the office um, and to just kind of uh, continue um, to create that kind of new, new art wave that's coming in to Parramatta. Yeah. And you will be uh, with Diversity Arts Australia at ICE. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's going to change the way that Sweatshop operates? Yeah. So in Bankstown, uh, we kind of had this small little office um, and we were part of the um, we were part of this writing and society research center, but they moved off into Parramatta as well, and so it was kind of just uh, myself and the director for a little bit in in the office, and so there was kind of really no one else to kind of work with and and share ideas with, and so um, when Diversity Arts reached out to us, um, and they were just like, we would love to kind of be next to you, work with each other, start some projects together. Um, it just seemed so natural to kind of come together. Um, with diversity arts who also have really culturally and linguistically diverse arts workers, which I think is very rare um, in the arts industry. Um, and then, yeah, and so we've, we're kind of working together on these kind of new projects that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about yet. Uh, but, yeah, keep an eye out because it's, it's going to be really exciting. And to our supporter drive, the theme for the show is 15. And I'm just curious... What sort of work were you guys making when you were 15? <laughs> I don't think I was making any work. I really remember, I mean, it could be classified as work, but I remember just writing in my diary, trying to be really, like, emotional and poetic. <laughs> and I'm sure I could look back at that now and turn it into something and it'd be really cringy. And I think so. Can you remember writing in a in your diary? Oh, yeah, very well. It was, like, all I did. But I think... Do you still have... have the object, the diary? I actually do. Wow. But to be honest, when I was 15, I wasn't creating anything that I wanted to show anyone else. And I didn't really even think about the idea that creative writing was something that I could follow or enjoy. And I think especially as like a small little brown girl, like raised in the Blue Mountains, I could have really benefited from something like Sweatshop that you know, sort of made me real, would have made me realise that there's something worthwhile in my stories and there's something really special about what I've experienced and it can be turned into something that other people can enjoy as well. But unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. Well, there's still time. Yeah. And you, Winnie? Yes. Um, so at 15, I was, it was probably really like 2009. That was like peak emo days. And that was also like the first time... Uh, like when the first Twilight movie came out and because I was 15 and because my nickname growing up was Fia Balangi, which in Tongan means wanting to be white, I kind of had this fantasy that I could be Bella Swan if I really tried. <laughs> <laughs> so I just used to write a lot of really bad 
uh, fan fiction where I just pretended that I was some really sad white girl from America who <laughs> was was in love with her stalker or something. Um, and it kind of really messed me up because I, I just had this fantasy that, that I could be white if I tried hard enough, uh, which obviously is not the case because, like, I, my skin is like brown yeah so so I was just kind of pretty delusional at 15 because I didn't understand what it meant to kind of be critically conscious and to feel empowered Mm. um, about my culture Mm. Um, so which is kind of strange because growing up in Mount Druitt I grew up around a lot of culturally and linguistically diverse young people who were kind of already really set um, and comfortable uh, with their own culture. So I just kind of had to go through this learning process as well. So really, I, I didn't start um, writing seriously um, until I was kind of 19, 20. Yeah, so 15's a rough time <laughs> for <That> everyone. There's <laughs> so much to uh, speak about. Um, more there, but un- unfortunately we've run, out <laughs> we, we've, we've run out of time. But if you are just joining us, you have been listening to Rachel, to Rachel Marie and Winnie Dunn from Sweatshop Western yeah. Sydney Writers. Cool. Can I just do a quick yeah, shout out? Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in Sweatshop and you want to work with us and you want to get to know us uh, a bit more, um, jump on our website, sweatshop.ws, follow us on social media, buy our awesome publications, um, and yeah, uh, we're free for you whenever you need. Thank you, Winnie. Uh, we have a brand new FBI member. Thank you, Romy from Newtown. You're going to go in the prize draw bag, my friend. Okay, what do we have next? We, this is Sunday Best with Be Wise. Mama tell me what it feel like Mama tell me what it feel like Hit my Sunday best Tell a lot I wanna be right Tell a lot I wanna be right So I gotta get blessed If it's my time Let it shine on me See the pearly gates But I'm not holy Did a lot of dirt So I gotta get fresh Yeah I brought a change In my Sunday best Mama tell me what it feel like That was Sunday Best by B Wise. Thank you for listening and thank you to our guests Winnie Dunn, Rachel Marie and Lisa Samet and also to our guest music curator Layla L. Race and if you miss any part of today's show be sure to listen back via our website on fbiradio94.5.com And before we go we wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in every Sunday the community that supports Canvas allows us to interview so many incredible artists and brings you the best arts content week after week as we mentioned FBI is 15 years old and we're asking you like Matilda asking Miss Honey do you remember that that movie Giselle if uh, you will be our radio parent to sweeten the deal honey you've got some goodie bag we've got some goodie bags to give away to one lucky listener who signs up or renews their support during this show Sponsors of FBI Radio Carriage Works are offering two Money Can't Buy tickets to the opening night of Until. This is a new exhibition from American political installation artist Nick Cave on November 20. Until addresses contemporary incidents of racial violence and police brutality. The murder of Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, amongst, unfortunately, so many others. Cave says this work has been three years in the making and until meets 
the scale, tact and ambition, creating a wonderland of found objects and a visual feast that masks a grave of a political undercurrent. To win these exclusive tickets to Nick Cave's Until Opening Night at Carriage Works, sign up as an FBI supporter right now. So we're going to keep this Sweet 15 party going. Call us on 8833. Two two nine four five, or sign up via our website at fbiradio.com forward slash support. Welcome to becoming our FBI radio parent today. <laughs> Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists, Giselle Stanborough, David Capra and Sabella D'Souza. This final song we have is from Brand Nubian. This is Allah and Justice from their album In God We Trust. Stay tuned for some excellent back announcing and some great tracks with Weekend Lunch by Martin Reyes. Happy Sunday. podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.